So as I read through this passage and even reading through the entirety of this book, as there's quite a bit of upheaval, or at least it comes on the heels of upheaval, it reminded me of a story that I read about in history and even in philosophy classes as well, and it was this earthquake that happened in 1755 in the city of Lisbon, Portugal. And it was an interesting earthquake just from a just from a uh, geological standpoint. It lasted almost six minutes. Can I can't imagine. It was like a seven-point-something earthquake that lasted six minutes. would have been horrific. It opened up a fissure in the middle of the city that was like 15 feet wide. Just this massive crack opens up. It's like something from a science fiction movie. And so all the people are leaving the city to escape from the, the chaos that's going on in the city, and they're going out to the beach, and they notice the beach is receding way out into the ocean, uh, revealing all these shipwrecks and lost cargo. And what they didn't realize is that coming soon would be a 30-foot tsunami that would kill thousands more. And then because, of course, it's 1755 and there's no like electricity or anything, there's all these candles. Well, every candle in every home and church and everything was knocked over in the earthquake and in the preceding flood, and it caused everything in the city to catch on fire. And so there was this giant firestorm that killed thousands more. All told, there was around 60,000 people that lost their lives in Lisbon, Portugal, on that day, which was about half the population of the city. Just this incredible event. And it was such a massive physical event that it actually caused <clears throat> quite a fallout in not just the physical world, but in the world of philosophy and thought as well, which this was taking place right in the middle of the European Enlightenment. Lots of questions about the existence of evil and what this has to do with God, of course, are coming from this because here's this great, horrible thing that's just happened one philosopher, in fact, by the name of Voltaire, you probably read Voltaire in a college humanities class just like I did. He wrote a short short novel on this whole problem called Candide, not, not recommended reading. And he attempts to answer this problem through satire, this problem of evil. His conclusion, cultivate your own garden, his words. In other words, tend to yourself. Tend to your own loved ones. Find solace in the small joys of life, he says, because God cannot be bothered to take care of us here on earth. We have to manage each other. This is a tough question. It's one we've dealt with many times here at Redeemer in various forms, so I don't plan to deal with it too greatly today. Rather, as we finish Haggai, as we finish even 2023, I think it's important to remind one another that while we should definitely be taking care of one another in Christ's church 100%, it's ultimately God who keeps His people and protects His people for all eternity. He offers no guarantees for this earth other than His continued presence with us. But we have the guarantee of eternal life found in Jesus Christ our Lord. As the people of God in Haggai's day look to the finish, or look to finish the temple, this encouragement would be true for them as it is for us today. As we consider the last few verses of Haggai, I want to consider three main ideas from them. First, God's king preserved. 
Secondly, God's creation shook. And then thirdly, God's people chosen. And so with that, look with me at Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Haggai chapter 2, verses 20 23. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne, throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So a couple things, just for some immediate context here. Notice in verse 20 there, the 24th day of the month. This is the same day of the month that he preached the last sermon on, starting at verse 9. It's almost as if Haggai chose to have an evening service that day, and this was his second sermon. But this one was particularly short, and it was aimed at one person, Zerubbabel which we're going to talk about in just a moment. But as we close the doors on this book, we need to look back and consider it again as a whole. The whole thrust here in the book of Haggai, the prophet, has been the word of God concerning the rebuilding of the temple of God. It was an effort that had started 16 years previous, if you remember, under the ministry of Ezra, but had laid dormant all these years because of infighting with the Jews and the Samaritans and other sorts of things going on and discouragement from the people. We were reminded of that discouragement of the past and how they continued to even be discouraged into this day. And that is why the Lord, as he was preaching or as he was speaking through the prophet, reminds them several times that he is going to be with them, that he is going to bless them, that he was going to be with them as they did this task. Those reminders of blessing and God's presence must have been hard for the people to receive because they were in the middle of a drought, if you remember. And that drought through no uncertain terms, the Lord told them, had been imposed directly by him because of their sins. Though they should have been right in the middle of harvest time during the beginning of this book, there probably wasn't much to bring in to the stores in those days. Not much food meant not much was going to get done. Hungry people are hard to motivate. So in each of Haggai's sermons, there has been this kind of lifting of God's curse on the people and the reminder of his continued covenant blessings for them. And you can imagine living there in that day, even as we read this, it might be easy for us to be angry with God here, wondering why he would do that to them, right? But it might be the same mind that believes that it's a good thing for us to discipline our children, so that they can grow up to be worshipers of God and be productive members of society. 
God is free to discipline his children as he sees fit. And for whatever reason, during this season of Israel's existence, he chose to withhold the rains, to make this drought come upon the people so that his name would be glorified, so that he would be praised. The goal of the children of God is to worship God and ultimately to spend an eternity with him, not the pleasures of this earth. While the pleasures of this earth are great and enjoying them both now are enjoying them now is both good and right. It's a good thing. They are but a small taste of the heavenly reality that we will have one day. Being reminded of that through God's hand of chastisement is good for the believer. Concerning God's concerning God's discipline, the writer of Hebrews says, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see that in Hebrews chapter 12. And so as we move through the close of this book, we discover again our King and our Deliverer. And this is an important idea for us to remember that God has a people for himself and that he has preserved for them a king of kings for all time in his son, Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the first point, God's king preserved. Look with me again at verses 20 and the first part of 21. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. We haven't said a whole lot about Zerubbabel. His name's a fun one to say. As we've gone through this book, we've going to add a bit to that today. If you study several lineages throughout Scripture, you'll find that he is mentioned a few times. Most of the time he is listed as the son of Shealtiel, who was the son of Jehoiakim, or Jehoiakim is also called Jeconiah, or sometimes just Coniah, I guess by his friends, just called him Coniah. The last of David's line to rule in Israel before the exile was this man, Jeconiah. Well, he was exiled, or, and his grandson, Zerubbabel, was later appointed as the governor of Israel by Persia, who was currently really ruling the roost in this area. Why is this significant? Again, we've been going through 2 Samuel, and we talked about this today in our study in 2 Samuel. Back in 2 Samuel 7, God told David that there would always be a king on the throne of David, meaning someone from David's line was going to be ruling God's people for all eternity. We know the ultimate fulfillment of this, of course, is David's son, who is also David's Lord, Jesus Christ. This is why both Matthew and Luke, when they are giving us a lineage of Jesus, include Zerubbabel among the other names. Though this was a time of turmoil and unrest, there is a descendant of Jesus, a descendant of David, on the throne in Judah. This isn't a throne like we envision. We want to envision some sort of throne room from the movies or something. But he was there leading God's people through a difficult time of rebuilding 
and restructuring in Jerusalem. We know the rest is history. There's not going to be another time of peace really for Israel. There's not. But they do get the temple rebuilt. In fact, Zechariah has a very plain prophecy concerning this that we've already looked at part of. I'm going to look in Zechariah chapter 4 if you want to turn there with me. It's right there in the next pages. Zechariah chapter 4 says this, verses 8 through 10. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. We've seen this, right? In Haggai, have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of the hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice and see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. It's the hands of Zerubbabel that laid the foundation and they will finish it. We talked about that verse, this despising the day of small things, the day that when the foundation was laid, remember there were some who were rejoicing, right, and seeing this small foundation being laid, but there were also so many crying that you couldn't tell the crying from the rejoicing. And so Zechariah is saying, those who despise that day, they're going to see Zerubbabel bring this to completion. In fact, they're going to see him standing there with the plumb line, which is the tool of a builder, making making sure everything is nice and vertical. One of David's distant sons is making sure that the people of God still have a temple in which to worship God in. 2024 will likely prove to be an exciting year. We have a presidential election around the corner. If nothing else, we know that that's going to make for all the circusry that we can stand for a year. There's probably going to be other things going along with it that are going to be interesting as well. Whatever the case, whatever happens with the election and all the things that go on associated with it, at the end of 2024, I have a prediction. There is still going to be David's, one of David's sons on the throne of God. No matter what. And it's not going to be Shealtiel or Zerubbabel or any other person that is currently in the grave somewhere. It is going to be Jesus, who is right now at the right hand of the Father in heaven, interceding on behalf of his people. The very Son of God is in heaven right now beside the Father praying for me, praying for you. And I am worried about the future. I'm worried about the future leader of this country. God is on the throne and I don't think things are going to turn out like they should. Will they turn out the way that I want them? Probably not. No one expects an earthquake. It's followed by a tsunami. Followed by a firestorm. But that kind of thing happens. And I could take those opportunities in life to question God and wonder why He isn't good to me. Or I could just simply gaze upon the throne of God and see that he has always been good to me and you and his people. 
He is good now and he will always be because he can't not be. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have been hidden in him for all time and all eternity. And while the earth may be passing away, God's love for his people will never pass away. And that brings us to the second point. God's creation shook. Look with me at verses 21 and 22. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah saying, I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the heavens of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders. And the horses and their riders shall go down, every one, by the sword of his brother. Things are about to get a bit crazy in Zerubbabel's time. God refers to this day as that day as his final day of judgment. You see this same kind of terminology used throughout the Old Testament, particularly as you just look next door in the book of Zechariah. I encourage you to read through that or listen to that book this week as it's as it's of great parallel and a great companion to the book of Haggai that we've been looking at. He talks regularly about that day that's going to come to denote the day when the Lord's judgment is going to come and he's enacting his final salvation for his people. We know that this ultimate, this has an ultimate fulfillment, right? There's one day in the future that no one knows that God is going to come back and he's going to bring his people home ultimately. But this shaking will have many smaller types throughout history. And we've seen it. Zerubbabel lived through it. His children would live through it. We live through it and have lived through it. We'll likely see it again, this kind of shaking up at things. I'm not going to point to particular events or people or places because I don't think that helps any. The reality is that God is constantly shaking things up. There will come a day when the kings of this earth will come face to face with the Lamb of God. We read about that day in Revelation 6. And on that day... They will beg the mountains to fall on them rather than face the Lamb of God. But until then, nations will rise, nations will fall, people, kingdoms, kings, all of these things pass just like the leaves on a tree. They bud, they grow, they thrive, they decay, they wither, and they fall to the ground and end up in a lawnmower. Just don't last. I know that these things are true. I've seen it. You can read about it any day of the week nowadays. We all see this all around us. But that hasn't really changed since my parents were saying nowadays. Or their parents were saying nowadays. There will always be times of strife because people, because sin, the creation and the creatures even those who are created in the image of God are fallen. The physical, geopolitical realities are ever-present and they're ever-fallen. If the spiritual realities were there as well, Jesus' coming saw people change from having to look forward to their coming Messiah like they did in Haggai's day and Zechariah's day and Zerubbabel and all of them 
They had to look forward to the coming Messiah. But when Jesus came, and now we are looking back on those days. Words about Him went from being prophecies to being historical accounts. And we have His very words. Not those spoken about Him, but those spoken by Him. Not just the first words that He spoke, like, you know, let there be light, but even those words while that while He was walking on earth, just like I do. that The words that He spoke when He was here on earth. And the crazy thing is, is they haven't changed. He is still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He told Zerubbabel that these things would happen. He told His twelve disciples that they were going to happen. If you read like Matthew 24 and other places, He told them. He told us that they were going to happen for all time in places like Haggai, in places like the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And yet, we worry that maybe God hasn't planned things very well. Better yet, maybe He should have consulted us before structuring things that don't make sense to us. And that's just it. Nothing makes sense to us. Ever. We are finite beings. Scripture says that our lives are but a vapor. When I read about this event that happened in 1755, it may as well be 4 million years ago rather than 400 or 300. It's all the same. It's all the same to me. And yet I think I know better than God who holds all things together by the word of His power. He was there when the first temple was built and then destroyed. He would be there when the second one would finally be finished and then destroyed. And He sent one who makes His abode in the hearts of His people. And His temple is now in each one of those that He calls My people. And He will never leave us or forsake us. And though the earth shake and the nations shake, it doesn't matter because He is the one doing the shaking. Though we may not be fine with this life, we have no idea what this life holds. We're going to be just fine for eternity because we are His people. And that brings us to the last point, God's chosen people. Look with me again. Verse 23. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. So we need a little bit of context here. A couple things. A signet ring is something that kings and other officials would use in days gone by in order to kind of put their official seal on a document. We think of envelopes now, like an envelope being sealed, which is an important thing. It means someone hasn't really tampered with this. Well, they would seal their documents in those days too. They just didn't have to lick them. They had these little rings, and they would, what they would do is they would roll up the document or fold it or whatever and put a little drop of wax on the seal, and they would smush their ring onto that wax, and it would take the shape of the king's seal, like his official seal, making that impression. And it basically said to the receiver of the message, 
This is official. It's directly from the hand, literally the hand of the king. In order to send that message, you had to steal the king's hand or at least steal his ring somehow. Right? This came from the ring that was on his hand. So God says to Zerubbabel that he is his signet ring. What is he talking about? Well, we need a little bit more biblical context here. Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. While you're turning there, I'll remind you that Jeremiah was the prophet that was prophesying before Judah went into exile in Babylon. He was preparing them for that exile, in fact. And we see that here in 22, and I'm going to read verses 24 through 27. And listen for this thing that we just talked about, the signet ring, except we're going to see the opposite thing being said by the prophet here in Jeremiah. Verse 24 of chapter 22 and following. As I live, declares the Lord through Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet ring on my right hand, yet I would tear you off. Were you the signet ring on my right hand, I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born and where there you shall die. But to the land to which they will long to return, they shall not return. It's pretty rough. We we studied Daniel, right? We we know all about Nebuchadnezzar, and we we talked about that. So here's Jeremiah saying this is going to happen. Well, it did indeed happen. What is the Lord telling him? He's telling them that through their upcoming exile that because of their continued infidelity, because of their continued unfaithfulness to Him, He is going to send them into exile, removing the people of God from Him, from the place that they had, that He had given them, just as He would remove a signet ring from His hand. In other words, during that time of exile, there would no longer be identified as His people. God would no longer identify with these people and he would give them over to another people, to another king, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is even going to change their names, right? When they get there. It's a big deal. These are hard words. Prophet Jeremiah had a really hard job as you read through that book. And these are the words that were given again years before Babylon. And now here we are in Haggai, years after Babylon. And God is saying to Zerubbabel, I will take you and make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you. Once again, you're going to be called the people of God. This represents a restoration of the Davidic kingdom and renewal of temple worship for the people of God. Of course, David's earthly throne has come and gone. The temple that they rebuilt under Haggai is 
now gone, yet the king and his new eternal temple remain. And he still has a people for himself. In fact, he tells us of this people that they are chosen from the foundations of the earth. That we are chosen in Christ. Christ, of course, is the true remnant of God's people. He is our seal. He is our signet ring. He is our guarantee that God keeps His covenant promises. These promises were true in Haggai's day, just as they are in ours. In Haggai's day, they looked forward to the day when the nations would be shook and the people of God would be again called my people. We look back and see that because of the coming of the great high priest, the final sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the work that He did on our behalf, we see that that physical temple is no longer necessary because it is now made spiritually in each one of us that Jesus is on the throne of David forevermore and He abides in and with His people. And what we do with that absolutely matters. And let me encourage you, this isn't just a Christian thing. But everyone must hear and respond. If you're an unbeliever here today, understand this. The Son of God reigns in glory. There is no other God. There is no other throne. He doesn't share His, He doesn't share His throne with anyone. He reigns in glory and He has come to give His life and He is coming again to take His people home and to judge those who are living and to judge those who have died. And there will be one eternal kingdom. All others, including any that we make for ourselves, will pass away. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you can have that today. Call upon the name of Jesus Christ and be saved today. For the believer, our God in heaven says that we are His signet ring that we are evidence of His promises being true in Christ our Lord. Even as we come to His table today during the Lord's Supper, we have a picture of this as well, a seal of His covenant promises to and for His people. These promises are true in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I ask you the question, what are we worried about? As we see the nation shaken, even as we see our own nation shaken, as we experience many things that can and will go wrong with this life all the time, nonstop, if for no other reason but because of me and my sin, even though all these things are going on, we can know that Jesus Christ is the same forever. He calls us His own. For we have been chosen in Him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, rest in this truth. There is no greater truth in this life. Go forward into a new year knowing that Jesus Christ is on the throne. Let's go to Him in prayer.